first Thank you. On Sunday, yes. Well, good morning. It's a real pleasure and honor to have this privilege to share the Sunday morning service with you. I've spoken on Wednesdays a time or two, but this is my first time after nine years of being here. So I'm very grateful for this opportunity because come August this year, I'll be 10 years of living in Tuscaloosa and being a part of the TFA family. So we're very grateful. We love this place. So I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way you love us, that you so love the world, that you did not leave us in darkness, leave us in sin, leave us estranged from you, but you sent your son Jesus who took on flesh, who became like us so that we might become as he is and we would be transformed and that we can become sons of the living God, sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. Powerful blessing you've bestowed on us, God. Undeservedly, but it's because of who you are and your goodness. And God, we pray that it doesn't just stay in this room, but that this is something that permeates the whole world, God. That all men would receive the blessing of Jesus Christ that you promised to Abram, and you are a faithful God. And so, Lord, we pray that and ask that in your name. Amen. So, I want to begin today talking about the first time I ever got to go overseas and be somewhere outside of America. Uh, but it begins first my sophomore year of college, going to history class in Ruffner Hall at Longwood University in a little town called Farmville, Virginia. And yes, that is a real place. Um, and uh, I'm on my way to class and I see a poster. It's on the hall and I notice and I'm reading it and it's this really cool experience. Three weeks study abroad in Morocco and Spain with my favorite history professor, Stephen Isaac. This is amazing. I think I'm really interested in this. This is awesome. Keep reading. Uh, and it's ancient medieval Berber history and culture. This would be awesome. And then I look down at the price tag, and I'm like, this is not awesome. <laughs> I'm, oh, no. I've used up all my financial aid for this year. My dad's a disabled carpenter, and my mom works retail at CVS. I don't think they're going to be able to contribute to this. Man, what am I going to do? Um, so discouraged, I go to class, um, you know, just taking my notes. And that night, we have Chi Alpha. We have our worship service that evening. And so uh, we go there, go to service, and we have a guest speaker come in. This is the traveling team. And so they're a, a group that travels across the nation and specifically share with university students about mission, about how from the very beginning, from page one of the Bible, all through the story to the last page of God's word, that he has a mission to have a people for himself. And uh, they just began to unpack this story of the Bible for me. And they showed this picture of the world and how um, they talked about the 1040 window and how on these latitude lines of 10 degrees north and 40 degrees south, so much of the world's population that does not know about Jesus lives here. And as I looked at that map, I made an interesting connection. Um, you know, I, I could see that Morocco was in that window. And I just couldn't shake that thought. Like, how many people there don't have Jesus, don't know Jesus? Um, and I know Jesus, and I have an opportunity to get there for just a little bit. 
What could happen? What could be done? Um, I just was stirred. I just couldn't shake that. That here was an opportunity to get into the 1040 window. I'm like, all right. I don't know what that means. So I go to sleep that night, and I have a dream. And I don't know where I'm at in this dream. I could just tell I wasn't in the States. I'm not in America because the architecture is all different. Uh, The people are dressed differently than they're dressed in America. Um, I'm looking over into this kind of market square. It's this open place. I see little vendors and see people. I see this tall building in the distance. Um, But I have no idea where I'm at. But when I wake up, I feel the Holy Spirit speak to me. And he says, don't let finances stop you from going on this trip. And so I go to Stephen Isaac's office. I, hello, Dr. Isaac. I want to go on this trip, but I have no money. Can you help me out? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, he was so awesome to talk to the university and let me know about some scholarships they had. And so I was able to get a scholarship awarded. Um, there was a few other things that I got to do. And to repay the remaining balance, he even let me uh, do some yard work for him to pay the remainder of the cost. So I uh, cut his grass a couple times and got the rest of the money to be able to go on this trip. So really cool. And so we're there in Morocco for you know two weeks and a week in Spain. Uh, we land in Casablanca, and then we go to the first city. We go to his Marrakesh in Morocco. And um, we're making our dinner plans of where will we go. And so we see this cafe. Okay, we're going to choose this one. And so we go up, and all the seating is on this rooftop looking over this uh, very well-known place called the Jamal Ifanal uh, in Marrakesh. It's a really old marketplace that's been there since the city was founded. So it's uh, if you ever like watch like, your travel channel and you know they highlight a place like Marrakesh, that's going to be one of the things they're going to highlight. Uh, and then in the distance was the Katubian Mosque, another uh, really old building but a historical marker in that city. And we're just sitting up there. And then I have this realization this is where I was in my dream. Like, this is the market. These are the people. This is the building that's in the distance. Oh, my goodness. I was here. And the moment I have that realization, the entire city erupts in the call of prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard a Muslim call to prayer, let alone in a whole city where every mosque is blaring as loud as it can the call to prayer. Imagine every church in the city of Tuscaloosa just shouted as loud as it could to say, come pray right now. And you get a little bit of that. It was incredibly loud and distressing. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He's like, right now, they're not speaking to me. You know, and Jesus wanted me in this place to share in this moment with him, to feel his heart of love and compassion and longing for these people. A whole nation that thinks they're turning to God, but it's not the God who made them. It's not the God who took on flesh for them. It's not the God who their worship is due. It's a phony God. It's a wrong religion. It's a dead-end faith. And so this wasn't a mission trip. It was a school trip, but God used it 
in my life to shape how I think about mission. And I got to pray in these cities, right? I got to be in these cities and pray over the people that were there. Pray and just lift up the nation. Here I am a Christian in a 1040 window. And I'm on the ground behind enemy lines. And I'm praying for these cities and these people. It's just a really awesome thing. And this trip, it showed me that there was this great problem that I couldn't be ignorant of no longer. Is that there's a world that doesn't know Jesus. I got to have dinner in their homes. I got to, you know, um, spend time with them. Got to hear their stories. And that's also our problem, too. That it wasn't a problem I just realized for myself that the world is unevangelized. It's a problem that all of us who are followers of Christ, it's a problem that we must reckon with. There's a world today that does not know about Jesus, right? We have a problem. We have an unevangelized world. And there are billions of people who have not heard the name of Jesus. And so 2,000 years after Christ came and lived his life and gave his disciples a great commission, this work remains unfinished. And so I ask you this question to think on. Why is that? Why do we sit here in 2022 when Jesus left the earth 33 and this work, this work of making disciples of all nations stands unfinished? Why might this be? Chi Alpha, every couple, every four years, hosts this huge convention called the World Mission Summit. And I got to go to one in 2008 uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And this was probably my first exposure to missions, like the real deal, going, sharing Jesus. Um, I went as a student overseas for a class, but this is, this is about like doing like the kingdom things. Uh, and I remember worship started, and I felt the Lord showed me a picture of an endless field of grain with a handful of people in it. And that whole time I was there at that conference, the Lord just showed me how, like, he has a ripe harvest, the, the, that there are so many people that the Lord wants to reach that are able to be, be brought in, but the laborers are few. And at this convention, I realized that mission was a part of my life now. I came into university to become a history teacher. But now I realize that my life is more than just teaching students history. My life is more than just anything I'm going to have here. God has something greater and bigger, and I have a part to play in it, right? And that was one of the just fundamental conviction that got formed there, right, that I have a role to play in God's work. E. Scott Martin, our national director for Chi Alpha, he says, what does Chi Alpha do? Chi Alpha makes disciples of university students, helping them to discover their role in God's global plan. That happened to me. <laughs> you know, I came in as a university student, uh, not really knowing Jesus, but through discipleship, began a walk with God and discovered the role that I, as a, myself, as Will Einhorn, gets to play in God's global plan. But we all have that role. We all have that unique, individual, uncounterfeitable, 
irreplaceable part to play if we will receive God's invitation. So you too, my friends, have a role to play because people will call on Christ when you share Christ. People will call on Christ when you share Christ. And for everyone around the world to be able to have the opportunity to call upon Jesus, it will require that everyone in the church shares Jesus. To have everyone everywhere requires everyone in here. Times every church in the body of Christ. When all hands get on deck, this will happen. And so Robert Coleman in the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, he looks at how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus, like, make his disciples? What did he do? What can we learn from that? And he observed that in Jesus, there was no distinction between home and foreign missions. For him, it was all world evangelism. And so when we share Christ, people will be able to call on Christ. So what counsel do we find in God's word for us this morning that can help us with that problem that I talked about, the problem of an unevangelized world 2,000 years just about after Jesus left and gave us this great commission? And so I want to turn to where Paul, the Apostle Paul, addresses this very question, right? Isn't that great when you like, the question you have, the Bible really has a great answer for it, you know, like, yeah, actually, I want to talk about that very thing, you know, so uh, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 10, so if you have your Bible this morning or your Bible app, uh, please turn to the book of Romans chapter 10, and so Romans is uh, an epistle written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome to, um, which is really a invitation to the Roman church to partner with him so that he can go to Spain, right? That's the reason for why Romans is written. It's at the end of the book there. He's uh, saying, hey, I wish to be sent to Spain to go proclaim where Jesus has never been proclaimed, right? Wow, think of it. Spain was unreached people groups, huh? <laughs> you know? Uh, and, you know uh, and so, like, Paul's like, I want to go there, right? And so he sends this letter to them. Um, and it's an incredibly rich letter where Paul talks about um, how is it that we have now right standing on relationship with God, but this doesn't stay with us. It has to flow through us into others. And so Romans 10, Paul is addressing a really peculiar issue that's kind of erupted in the early churches. Paul, who is of the tribe of Benjamin, an Israelite, loves Jesus. However, a great many Israelites do not yet love Jesus. But they share the gospel with Greeks, with people who are Gentiles, who aren't Jewish. And they respond enthusiastically to Christ. And the church begins to grow with more and more Greeks. And so how, what's this issue, right? How did Israel not receive their Messiah? And so Paul talks about that in the section between 9 through 11, um, and so we'll begin here in chapter 10, verse 1. Paul writes, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they do not know the righteousness that comes from God, sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. 
So he talks about how like my prayer and desire is that the people of Israel would be saved, that they would be like me, commit themselves to Jesus, right? And that's my prayer. And they are zealous for God, right? They have a sincerity about them, but they're mistaken. They don't truly know who God really is, that God has come in the person of Jesus, that they're, they're missing some really important things. And so, yes, they have zeal. Yes, they have sincerity. But that's not enough to save them. Only Jesus can save them. And so, uh, and that Jesus is the very thing that they are seeking. What they think through the law, they'll get. But they'll actually have only in Christ. And so, Paul is talking about some people that do not know that Christ alone makes them righteous. So even the people of Israel, right, the people who have the Torah, who have so much instruction, still are ignorant, still have not yet received who Jesus is for them and what he means for them, right? And then even beyond them, to the Gentiles, to the whole world that doesn't know. But Paul continues on here in verses 5 through 8. It says, Moses described in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is within your, with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there, is no difference, uh, uh, for there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. The same Lord is Lord of all and has richly blessed all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Paul quotes from Leviticus, Leviticus 18.5 and Deuteronomy uh, 30, 11 through 14. And he points out the simplicity and the availability of salvation through faith in Jesus. And that Jesus already came from heaven to this world. And God already raised him from the dead in defeat of death. And now everyone, and there is only one way that people can be saved. But it is a way for everyone. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we put our trust in Jesus, who he is and what he has accomplished, we will be saved. And so now we get to our question. Verse 14. And Paul says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? Our question, right? How can people believe in Jesus if they've never heard of him? They're unreached. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So Paul tackles our very problem of an unevangelized world, that the world at his time, at his vantage point, there were places that still had yet to reach the gospel, and Paul was committed to seeing that fulfilled. And we, 
like Paul, stand in a similar place. We have a world that does not yet know about Jesus. And so what is Paul's solution here? But notice what he does not do. What he does not do in acknowledging this. He does not appeal to universalism. He does not appeal to uh, a different way of salvation. Say, well, um, you know, God will make an allowance for these people because they didn't, didn't know this. And so um, there's a, apparently a back door to God. Jesus isn't the only way, right? He doesn't do that, right? He doesn't wax philosophical about how uh, God is just and fair and these people have not heard yet. He does not, you know, break into some uh, deep philosophical apologetic, although he began the letter to Rome in a similar way, right? You know, talking about how uh, all men, because of the created world, have a knowledge about God that he is real, but yet have exchanged the truth for a lie, right? But even then, that's where humanity presently stands, right? That we all are in this predicament of, of death, right? That this is our present state because of our sin. But he doesn't give a philosophical answer about God's omniscience and goodness. And he does not try to de- defend how is it that um, people have not heard yet. But his solution to these problems is incredibly practical. Because the problem of the unevangelized is really the problem of the unevangelist. The problem of the unevangelized is really the problem of the unevangelist. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For people to call on Jesus, it means I must share Jesus. People will call on Christ when you share Christ. When we step into our role, God-gifted role to us, as evangelists, the world will be evangelized. It will happen. And Paul can say this and stand so confidently in this because he knows Jesus' way of ministry, how Jesus lived his life. And his life's way is a prescribed way of ministry. Right? Not just, well, Jesus did it, but, you know, we can do something different because we're better. You know, that's not at all. Like, no, actually, if Jesus did it, we would be very wise to do that thing too. <laughs> you know, who are we to say we know better than God in flesh? Jesus came and lived his life in a way. You can tell me why Jesus died, right? Could you tell me why did he live? Right? Jesus lived on the earth for 33 years. And in that time, he invested himself into 12 men that were around him and imparted into them all he knew of the Father to them so that they could go and impart that to others who would then impart that to others who would then impart that to others still. And so, how long do you think it would take for the world to be evangelized in Jesus' strategy? How long would it take? Well, let's do it our way first. Let's do it our way, where we have a guy like Billy Graham, and we put him in a stadium, and a thousand people commit themselves to Jesus. Let's say we can do that dude, you can do, like, get him doing his thing, like every day of the year. Let's, let's have a super evangelist 
and let him, uh, like he's, he's the guy, he's, the, he's got gifting, he's got talents, he's got the best stories, uh, and we're going to let him be the one to share Jesus, and we'll, you know, take care of his airfare, his meals, his lodging, everything, and we're going to get him in front of as many people all the time, and a thousand people will be saved a day, right? And you do that for a whole year, how many people will you have? Yeah, 365,000, right? Yeah, very true, very true, yep. And then how many would you have in five years? One million eight hundred and twenty-five thousand. So, and you just do that day after day. We're going to go out to thirty years. We'll do super evangelists making disciples. Three hundred sixty-five thousand people following Jesus every year for thirty years, and we would come to a total of ten million nine hundred and fifty million people. Ten million nine hundred fifty thousand people. We're going to do it Jesus' way now. We're going to do it with some faithful disciples. And so Jesus made 12 disciples. So we're going to start with our base number being 12 because Jesus had 12. Now Judas didn't make it, but they replaced him with Matthias, so we get back to our 12. Uh, So 12 disciples. And we're going to have a replication rate of one. Really conservative. Really, really low ball on the numbers here. Uh, a replication rate of one person. So each one of these people, right, lives their life in such a way that they share Jesus with others. And one person at the end of a year has committed themselves to following Jesus and being a part of this work of evangelism, of sharing the gospel, right? That they were reached and now they go to reach others too. And so. 12 times, you know. So next year, they have 24, right? Year two, 24. And year five, um, they're at like 512, you know. Uh, Excuse me, 384. Yeah, they're at 384. Not really far. Super evangelist definitely hasn't beat in the beginning. But every year, year after year, everybody goes on it, right? So the 12 become 24. 24 become 48. 48. 96, yeah. Right, right, yeah. And everybody, but notice something. All hands on deck. If everyone will call on the name of Jesus, it's because everyone is sharing Jesus. All hands on deck. And so you do that. Between year 29 and between year 30, you will reach the present-day population of the world. From 12, and at 30 years, you reach over 12 billion people. Present world population is 8 billion. Paul's day was much less than that. So, back to my first question. Why 2,000 years have we not finished the work when Jesus has given us a way that we'll do it 
than 30. Jesus devised a strategy for world conquest, but we've neglected it. But I look at my story, and I see Jesus' story playing out. Because I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up with a family that knew Jesus and discipled me. But I had university student friends that took me under their wing. I had small group leaders, John and Kyle, that really discipled me. That I remember having lunches with John in in the in the cafe in the dining hall, Daryl Dining Hall, and like he would ask me questions about like God, uh, about life. You know, <laughs> I remember we had a conversation with the Trinity, and I'm like, brother, I have no idea. I just want to eat my spaghetti. You know, <laughs> uh, but he took time to invest in me. He spent time with me outside of small group time. You know, he was with me like Jesus was with his disciples. I got to see a man who stood on the word of God, right? I had never to that point of meeting John saw a man stand on the authority and power of the scriptures. Like he believed the Bible because he believed God. And he showed me what repentance looked like. He taught me how to pray, taught me how to read the Bible. You know, John was such a big part of my life, you know, my freshman year. And so me and Don got baptized together. We were both in a small group. And so John replicated himself and me. And what's happened since? A lot of the people you're seeing in that row, Kyle Rose, are part of that. If John just was like, I'm just going to chill, do my thing, I'll just attend a church and not invest my life in another person, maybe some people in this room wouldn't be in this room. There are people who are going to be in this room because you're in this room. There are people that are going to have that be their story because you have shared Jesus with them. Not because you're knowledgeable or because you're, you know, uh, extroverted or anything like that, but because the spirit of the living God indwells you and because Jesus has commissioned you. And if you will be available, he will do things. The problem for us is that we just don't make ourselves available. We, we're going to let the super evangelists do it and not make myself available as a faithful discipler. But you can be a John and a Kyle in someone else's life, guys. So how can we do this, right? How can you do this? Right? People will call on Jesus when you share Jesus. So what will it look like for you to share Jesus? I believe we can share Jesus in four ways. We can go, we can give, we can pray, and we can welcome. What does it look like for you to go? Yes, you may, like our friend Rachel, you know, hop on a plane and get to a very far away place and share Jesus with people. But you have family. I would say first, we go to our family. Will you live sent as a missionary to your kids, to your spouse, to your parents, to your family? That this is the first circle of relationship that you have. Will you live sent as a missionary to these, these people? For families, like dads, will you read scripture with your children? Would you pray with them 
You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Here's how to do a discovery Bible study in three easy questions. So if you want to take notes, this will be easy, right? How can you make a disciple? You can do a discovery Bible study, which is three questions. First, what did we read tell us about God? You read your Bible passage and you ask, what did we learn about God when we read this? A five-year-old child can answer this question too, (laughs) you know? Like, what did we learn about God? Next question, what did we learn about people? What did we learn about people from what we read? And the last question is, what will you change? What will change in your life because of who God is now? You know this about God. What's going to be different? Because the best way to read the Bible is obediently. And then we can disciple our children into that. And so discovery Bible study, those three questions right there, you're sharing Jesus so that your children can call on Jesus and be saved. They can know him, right? Praying over them. You can do the same thing with your neighbors. You know, don't take for granted how people don't know God. Don't take it for granted. Like, well, they know. No, they don't. That's the thing I've been, I've been surprised by this year, is how few people know scriptures from the Bible, even know the gospel. My friend Caleb, uh, just being led of the Spirit this year, just felt uh, in his first interactions with people, just asked them, hey, do you know the gospel? And then asked them, can you tell me what you understand the gospel to be? And everybody got it wrong. Sadly. And really, really regrettably so. And this is America. This isn't, you know, Saudi Arabia. This isn't, you know, a really far place. This is America. So don't take for granted that your neighbor, person who lives next to you, beside you, in front of you, behind you, knows the gospel. They probably don't. They probably have a real distorted picture of who God is. They don't know that when they look at Jesus, they'll see the Father. And so uh, please share. You have a sphere of influence that nobody else has. It's unique to you. And will you live in a way like a missionary to them? To see yourself as somebody that God can, can speak through as you just share your testimony. Like how you know Jesus. Ask people questions. Have you ever thought of God that way? Somebody who loves you and forgives you of your sins. You know, asking simple questions that the Spirit will use to help people. So we go. We go to our families. We go to our spheres of influence. And we can go to the ends of the earth. Right, And so today, we're going to, you know, commit to faith promises of people that we're going to stand beside, like Paul was instructing the Romans, right? How will people in faraway places hear unless someone goes? So we're going to send the goers, and we're going to send to the capacity to match their going, right? They have surrendered and sacrificed a way of life they could have here for Jesus. And so we, too, will surrender and sacrifice things to match their sacrifice because it's all hands on deck. Jesus' way is an all hands on deck way. Not these are the professionals, these are the unique guys, but all hands on deck. Everyone. And if you have a chance to go to do so, um, I hope we can take short term mission trips here out of this church's soon. Uh, And I know the Assemblies of God in the state of Alabama does have opportunities for that too. And so I want to encourage you guys to go if you've never 
down on a short-term trip. The Lord will provide for that. One of the stories of a time where we went overseas that just really, um, I'll never forget this. We were in a Southeast Asian country. I'm having to kind of think as we're broadcasting. Uh, so uh, we're in a Southeast Asian country and in a place that the person we were with, the worker we were with, he lived there, he was a national, and he hadn't quite yet got to share Jesus in this place before. And so I remember as we're playing with the kids here, as we're like sharing testimony, as we're just in this place and helping our, our national friend make connections. And, um, you know, I just realized, had a realization that God loved those people there. He loved them so much to take 10 University of Alabama students and give them, you know, thousands of dollars, let them cover thousands of miles of geography, and to be here, to be gifted the awesome privilege of being the first people that could speak the name of Jesus to them. And then I realized how much God loved me. Let me be a part of it. And God loves you to let you be a part of it. Why won't you let God love you? Why won't you let God love you that way? What would make you push him away and say, no, not I? But God wants to give you that kind of love. To let your voice be the one that speaks Jesus to somebody else. That they can know him too. And we share Jesus when we give that radical generosity, that sending of missionaries that enables us to happen, right? And Paul talks about it there, right? How can they go unless they are sent, right? How can the unreached be reached unless we also go and share Jesus in this way too of, of giving and financing and resourcing? Because that's why Paul wrote the letter to the church in Rome, right? It was a support letter, really. Yeah, the, 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 the book of Romans is a, is a really awesome support letter, <laughs> He's like, hey, I need to go to Spain. Can you help out? Would you send me? Right? We can pray. And this not to be undervalued. When we got to go to another Southeast Asian country and help the worker there, um, it was a little bit of a short term, it was a short notice. There was unfortunately a, a terrorist attack that happened in the country we're going to, and that just changed everything. And we had an opportunity in another country open up, and so we took it. But being on such short notice, we didn't have a whole lot of, like, the traditional mission trip things to do that are look really pretty in a newsletter with pictures of you doing things, building something, or, uh, you know, uh, just, like, it wasn't very visible. But we got through a lot of prayer. That's what we did. We prayed a lot. And the Lord delivered me from the need to feel like, I was accomplishing something, right? Because I was being confronted with, like, do I believe that prayer is the work? Because I have no picture of something. Like, here's a picture of us praying. You know, like, uh, there's no pretty picture to say to somebody, hey, the thousands of dollars you gave is being put to good use, you know. But that pride, the Lord had to deliver me and the rest of our team from. That prayer was powerful. That we got to pray with the people in these countries. We got to pray you know, um, and be a part of what God was doing. And prayer is the work. It's not a lesser work. It is the work. It's our pride that makes it think so. It's our pride because it can't, you can't see the, the children's faces in the picture, you know. Um, 
but do you believe that this is powerful? And that prayer precedes mighty moves of God. And John Wesley was a prayerful man. George Whitfield, prayerful guys. Um, and a friend of mine that passed away recently, Dick Schroeder, I've been listening to some of his teaching. Um, this, they've found these things on like uh, cassette tapes and digitized them and now put them on Spotify. So if you want to listen to them, they're available for your enjoyment. Uh, and he was just sharing about prayer. And he's one of the few men that I know lived a life of prayer and shared about what God spoke to him, that the Lord would give the nations to him, like that Jesus is the inheritance of, of the nations, that Jesus wanted to say, you're going to share in that inheritance of the people you disciple going to the nations, how he prayed for this, and just the testimonies of all the missionaries that have come from what everything. And I believe that if he had never prayed, if he didn't lean into it with prayer, it would be very presumptuous and prideful. But he was humble. He was prayerful. So let us pray. Let us pray. And let us welcome. Let us welcome people into our lives. You have um, friends, colleagues, neighbors. Um, when we welcome people into our life, not just, you know, um, a window or come to a church service, but real relationship, real friendship. Welcome people into your life. Jesus welcomed those 12 disciples, into his life. When we do that, we will be sharing Jesus. So people can only call on Jesus unless you share Jesus. And so today, let us commit to that. And so I want to invite the worship team to come uh, and just have a, a small time to just a prayerful response to the Lord. Um, and I want to ask you, Where do you need, who do you need to share Jesus with? Who do you need to go to? Is it your family? Is it your colleagues? Is it um, whoever the Lord would put on your hearts? Maybe, maybe you'd be like our friend Rachel and like, oh, he's going to pick somebody in this room. Oh, my gosh. No, sorry. No. Uh, but would you, if the Lord would move you, sell your home, quit your job, and go overseas? We'd be like, no, can't be me. Right? Can't be me. Well, why? Why couldn't it be you? And let the Lord move that barrier right there. And you might go, or you might stay, but if you stay, you'll be freed to stay. But right now, you're bound in staying. Receive the Lord's freedom today. So I want to invite people to come just as a time of prayer to say, Lord, I want to share Jesus with people. I want to be that faithful discipler because out of my life will come many more. Jesus could have 12 disciples in 30 years. What could a room of 100 people do? Imagine who will sit here with us and know God the way you do. So let's take some time to pray, to seek the Lord, 
but to step into the, the, the thing he's gifted us, participation in his mission. Because for people to call on Jesus requires everyone to share Jesus. And what will it look like for you specifically today to share Jesus so we can fulfill this great commission? Yeah. Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you that that you have a great purpose for us. A great, great purpose. That you love us so much. Let us be partakers in it as a good father. Not because we add skill, expertise, but like any dad who has a son or his daughter with them as they're doing things. It's because they want them there. That you want your people there. So I pray, Lord, that we would we would receive that, receive your love. Yeah. We wouldn't tolerate the problem any longer. The problem of a world that doesn't know your name. within our power 